Welcome, everybody, to the Op That Cast. This is episode 23. The uh, Who Wore It Better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Anybody care to chime in? Uh, Steve Cuff, is that you? This is not Steve Cuff. Uh, for, those, for any regular listeners, by the way, this is Stephen Coleman, or Steve Coleman, the other Steve, uh, just like the other sister. Um, or the other white yeah, right. Uh, we actually, uh, Steve Cuff has left Optimism Vaccine. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> He's no longer with us. He's training to become a professional wrestler down at Full Sail University in uh, Orlando, Florida. So, But we're here today, mm-hmm. and it's going to be wonderful. Um, joining me, as always, is Sean Glynis. Hello. Along in the same room with Sean is Adam Myros. Good evening. And joining us for the first time ever, making her debut on the OpVac cast, all the way from Australia, all the way from the future, actually, <laughs> is Till Knowles. How are you, Till? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for uh, waking up very early on a Saturday morning. That's all right. I can tell you that today's weather is going to be sunny but overcast. So I was just going to ask. <laughs> okay. That's great because it's pretty awful here in the past yeah. on a Friday afternoon. Um, so we uh, have a lot of new exciting things coming up on Optimism Vaccine. Uh, we just finished our West Craven month. I'm personally a little upset because I didn't get to uh, share a personal Freddy Krueger story on any of the Wes Craven podcasts we did in October. What's that? Yeah, uh, well, well, okay, if, if you guys insist, <laughs> um, my father was almost castrated by Freddy Krueger. Hey, hey, who wasn't? Hey, right. It, it all started from just this really bad dream he was having, and he woke up just in the nick of time. Um, <laughs> thank you. No, that's what was that, Sean? Nick of oh, oh, yeah, right. I forgot all about that. Literally all about that. I forgot that existed till just now. Um, yeah, well, he did have. Did he have facial hair in the nick of time? I don't think he did. I don't think so. Round glasses? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, well, uh, seriously, the, the uh, story of my father, we <laughs> we were about, I was like eight or nine years old, we were at this haunted house at a local high school in Milwaukee, and the last thing they had us do is we had to go into this room where they pretty much just reenacted a scene from Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a young girl lying in a bed, she's having a terrible nightmare, and on the screen they're projecting these images from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and then the titular Freddy Krueger comes out and like we're all standing against this wall as we're watching the scene but Freddy Krueger kind of comes and like jumps out at us and tries to scare us He's and he's swiping his claws out and he winds up 
swiping the fabric of my father's pants right <laughs> on the groin. And my dad just kind of <laughs> like backs up just in time. <laughs> and we kind of noticed it happened, but like everybody's kind of terrified and like Freddy Krueger grabs the woman, he runs away, and then that's the end of the haunted house. But I just remember the whole time on the car ride home, we're just laughing about the fact because my dad says, yeah, you almost hit me in the nuts. <laughs> so, uh, you said that um, it was the titular Freddy Krueger, but wouldn't, it, wouldn't he have woken up from the titular nightmare? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. That's why I wasn't that involved in the uh, West Craven <laughs> podcasts, I guess. Yeah, Sean wasn't either, as, as he would then know that there, there really is no titular Freddy Krueger. I guess Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Freddy's dead? Uh, well, that's more of a subtype. He's a sub-titular Freddy Krueger in that instance. Is that like Freddy? Some... Hey, wait, well, I guess he was not Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> Freddy Krueger was in Freddy Got Fingered? Yeah, that's who that was, right? Oh, yeah, well, in a way, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it's an story. Till, how, how's it going, Till? <laughs> um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to welcome... Uh, I wanted to welcome Till, our Australian guest, um, and, but I also wanted to say that, you know, this is our second, um, I guess, second uh, guest who's from out of the country. Um, we recently had Jack Eason from uh, Ireland, and so uh, we, have, as much as we want to welcome uh, you, we also want to apologize to our guests because we know nobody likes different accents, so... Um, I apologize for that, and we know that our ratings will probably depreciate going forward. <laughs> because I'm here, so it makes it much more difficult to understand. <laughs> to be fair, though, I actually found um, Jack's accent quite similar to yours in the previous podcast. Like, he didn't, he doesn't sound particularly Irish. That's funny. I mean, he he did to me, but he said when he listened back to it, he realized how how much, uh, how American his accent sounded to him as well. Yeah, I think it's because the American accent and the Irish accent are really closely related, whereas the Australian accent is a lot more like the English accent. So it's mm. really easy for me to put on an English accent, but not so easy to put on an American or an Irish one. But I lived in Ireland for a year, so that might also just be that I understood it quite thicker. easily. Yeah, I might have a thicker accent than Jack with my <laughs> Midwestern yeah. brogue here. Definitely. Well, and also, um, congratulations to Till for breaking the uh, Optimism Vaccine podcast glass ceiling. Well, this is I? the first time we've had a woman on the podcast, everybody. The boys club is no more. <laughs> it's a uh, second. We had um, Anna on a while back, but that was a while. For the heavy metal quiz, that is true. No. Um, my apologies to Anna, but maybe we should have her on at some point if she's interested should we do a round of uh, what are you drinking? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. Hey, Steve, what are you drinking? Sean, I'm drinking a Collectivo coffee, extra large. I believe it's their Blue Healer roast. Uh, uh, drip or uh, what do you got? Uh, just a... Uh, yeah, drip. And that's Not good pour over, just drip. Air, air pot drip. <laughs> good man, good man. 
which is a very hard thing to get when you're in Australia, as I found out when I was there many years ago. I used yeah, to go to a... I'm sorry? Total coffee snobs over here. Don't want <laughs> yeah. None of your heated up drip nonsense. It's all, you know, it's either... If you're going to make a stovetop coffee, you do that at home, and if you go out, you get espressos or lattes or flat whites, you know, cappuccinos, whatever. See, and that's a very respectable thing to do. I was very immature when I was there, and I would go to this Gloria Jeans right by the Australian (laughs) Film Television Radio School. (laughs) I'd go there every morning, and they would know that I was about to show up because they'd kind of, they wouldn't roll their eyes, I'm sure they did after I left, but they would brew me a fresh pot of coffee every single day, and I'd be the only person, and I'd just buy one cup, and I would never show up again for the rest of the day. Was was that right before you stopped at the Gap at JCPenney? Mm, probably, actually. I don't know. I did go to the Target a lot when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd never get away with that in Melbourne, though. That's a Sydney thing. Starbucks. We've got one Starbucks in my city, and no one, no one goes there except the tourists. Okay. Now, tell, are you in Melbourne is proper, or are you in yeah. the just in the area? No, in Melbourne proper, like basically in the oh. CBD. <laughs> okay. Good. It's interesting because I've heard that Melbourne is the uh, comedy capital of Australia. Yes, which is, totally is. And that's appropriate for today for numerous reasons because we're going to be talking about Michael Showalter and David Wayne. Yeah, and I think um, we're going to do that right after um, we finished our "What Are You Drinking?" segment. <laughs> oh, you still wanted to do that? Too many tangents, too early. Yeah, Sean and Adam have to tell us about their beers. Oh, uh, okay. I'm, I'm yeah, drinking. You, hey, Sean, what are you yeah, drinking? Uh, yeah. Oh, um, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, I'm drinking a uh, autumn ale, which is uh, extra, it's an ESB amber from Shorts. It's quite lovely. Oh. Adam, Adam, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking something called. Gumball Head uh, from a Three Floyds Brewery in Indiana, somewhere in Indiana. Have you never had a Gumball Head before, Adam? That's what I've said. I've never had one. It's not That's readily available here in the good old state of Michigan. It's the flagship of their fleet. It's a wonderful beer. It is quite delicious. I must say. Tell, what are you drinking? Peppermint tea. Just a green. Um, as a peppermint. Black. Pepper. Yeah, just oh, peppermint. Sorry, accent's getting in the way already. <sighs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny though because we're doing Google Hangouts. This is a throwback episode, by the way. This is how we started the Opvac cast. And every time Adam speaks, there's a picture of Sean that just starts flashing on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you speak with one voice generally? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, where were we? Oh, that's right. We're going to be talking about, to a great extent, we're going to be talking about alternative comedy in the mainstream, but mostly we're going to be focusing on the careers of David Wayne and Michael Showalter, who are frequent collaborators but also do a lot of things individually. Um, One reason we're talking about today as well is because uh, Till's first piece for Optimism Vaccine was about Wet Hot American Summer, and she goes into a bit of a discussion about Joe Walter and Wayne and how they came about 
writing the movie and the Netflix series and uh, its influence on mainstream comedy. Till, would you like to share anything from that piece, or do you just want to tell people to go read it? Um, go and read it. <laughs> it's always a good start. More, the more views, the better. But um, I guess I guess it's just kind of interesting for me as an outsider, I guess, and a non-American and, um, and a bit younger as well, so this kind of comedy is pre-existing in my kind of world. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer really represented the, the start and the kind of um, culmination of the move from kind of mainstream American Pie-esque comedy towards alt comedy, which is kind of what we're seeing a lot more of in the mainstream now. Like you'd be, if you made another American Pie movie these days, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an audience who were appreciative of it in the same, in a, you know, in a non-nostalgia vein. So the, the, the obvious parallel here is uh, Wet Hot American Summer and uh, American Pie Bandcamp. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's the comparison that I'm making. <laughs> um, camp movies, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer the Naked Mile. <laughs> what about Beta House, man? <laughs> I like how we know all of these straight to DVD series <laughs> to American Pie, by the way. Uh, it's kind of sad. I couldn't even stomach watching the second movie personally, but there you go. <laughs> you know, Roger Ebert loved the American Pie films, by the way. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about American Pie uh, <clears throat> is uh, when Woody Allen casted uh, Jason Biggs in Anything Else, and um, Jason Biggs said that he thought he he hired him thinking he was Jewish, but uh, he hadn't really seen a whole lot of his work. His quote was, uh, "I saw the trailer for that Pie Fucker movie and he looked really good." <laughs> <laughs> was he wrong? Uh, I, yeah, he was great. He, uh, I guess, he was a cultural touchstone for for. Uh, post-pubescent uh, urges. I don't know. Yeah, he's great. He got real. He got real snubbed. Yeah. Well, what's interesting that we're talking about the parallels, <laughs> uh, or that at least that we're talking about American Pie versus Wet Hot American Summer, because for me personally, um, I saw both of those movies around the same time. I was in high school when American Pie came out, and I was in high school when Wet Hot American Summer came out. My introduction to Wet Hot American Summer is in sort of like this post-like young teenage worship of movies like American Pie, and then turning on my parents' scrambler box <laughs> um, for the uh, borrowed cable. And um, there was a, a, a pay-to-view movie station that specialized in showing art house films. And I happened to turn on that station during the sex scene between Bradley Cooper and Michael Ian Black. And I definitely had no idea who Bradley Cooper was at that point, and I didn't recognize Michael Ian Black right away, but I thought this was an art house film about gay camp counselors. The very <laughs> first time I saw it, that was the first scene I saw it. It was, and that scene is played so, uh, for lack of a better term, it's played so straight. Like they just shoot it as like this very well shot love scene that it 
it looked like a very serious film. And I don't know if I wound up watching the rest of it at that point. I think I came back to it maybe a day or two later when I found out it was a comedy. Um, and the only reason I didn't want to keep watching it is because it looked like it was going to be this sad drama, and I wanted to laugh. And I don't know. I think that that sort of speaks to the style of alternative comedy is that there's things like that that are played so straight and played so subtle. There's almost like this separate language that you have to understand to get the jokes. And it's um, I'm <laughs> I'm really glad that I wound up giving it a second chance just because um, it's Wet Hot American Summer for me is one of those movies that has defined I think my sense of humor as I've grown from being a young boy into a older boy. <laughs> it's interesting that you say American Hot, American, bleh, Wet Hot American Summer was one of those movies that kind of opened your eyes and one of those first movies that you um, watched after you'd stopped idolizing those teen movies like, say, American Pie. Because it, it is kind of a, an evolution and, or like a stepping stone to... Stranger Things, I guess, or, or more mature, you know, sense yeah. of comedy, perhaps. Yeah, and I, I like what you said, Steve, about, like, sort of, like, having to acquire, like, I guess the, the vernacular for, like, this, like, anti-comedy, because I, over the past, like, few days, I've been binging the, the Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter podcast topics, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I had listened to it, like, before, but I haven't listened to it in, like, probably a, a good year. And I absolutely love it, but you definitely, like, you have to, like, I guess just, like, the common podcast listener um, who isn't acquainted with their type of humor would not know what was going on at all. And it's it's one of those podcasts where, like, I, I would shun at the thought of, like, someone overhearing me listen to one of them because basically... I don't know if, how, how much you guys have heard it, but they, like, are playing these characters that are basically, like, those conversations you have in college with, like, pseudo-intellectuals, but also trying to keep up with them, but really you guys are both, like, bullshitting each other, and they're, they're like, sort of, it's all improv, too, and they're talking about these really abstract thoughts and uh, trying to push them each other to, like, this limit to, like... Um, I guess, like, back each other into a corner, like, like I guess, good improv does, and then, so they have to, like, sort of worm their way out. So, like, one of them will be, like, they'll talk about film, and um, they'll be like, oh, yeah, the wonderful works of, uh, you know, Jean-Luc Godard, and then they're, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, what, what would you say, like, his most influential piece would be? <laughs> <laughs> and... There was some of this in, in some of the, the um, stand-up Stella stuff that, that you shared with us, Steve, too, where they sort of just, like, keep pushing each other, and, and it gets really incre- uh, incredibly, like, awkward, um, but really fun. Um, I think, um, one of, like, one of the best episodes of Topics um, I was listening to earlier, and uh, it's, it's called Discourse and Dialogue, and uh, they... <laughs> Um, Michael Ian Black is talking about uh, some, for some reason making a booyah bass and how he makes like a famous booyah bass and uh, so Michael Walter is like oh yeah well, like how how would you describe your booyah bass or like how do you make it and he keeps asking questions and he's like well a booyah bass is this uh, provincial soup from and he like is just like rattling off things <laughs> and then, 
Michael Showalter's like, are, do I hear typing? And he's like, oh, he's like, what? <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, well, tell, what what ingredients would you usually put in it? And then as Michael Michael Ian Black is like rattling off the the uh, ingredients, Michael Showalter is like saying them right along with him. And he's like, how do you know? He's like, well, I'm I'm on Wikipedia right now. Um, for the Booyah Base page, um, I assume I'm on the same page as you. And so <laughs> Ian Black has to like keep going along with it and defending the fact that he's not on the Wikipedia page. Um, and it's, it's pretty great. But obviously, like, you could tell that like he wouldn't have expected Michael Showalter to like go to that extent. <laughs> I love the phrase, um, I assume that I'm on the same page as you. Because yeah, they're, yeah, on like yeah. the first, they're on the first page and they're both there, but one of them is pretending that it's not true <laughs> and that they're, they're further along than that. They're further into the book, I guess. Yeah, um, and then he's, like, he's like, oh, this is the recipe for the mayonnaise. He's like, oh, I, I guess they make it the same way as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Um, those guys are like some of my heroes, <laughs> not to be hyperbolic about it, but um, I've been following them for a really long time. Uh, when After Wet Hot American Summer came out, I remember just going on this binge of trying to figure out everything those guys have ever done, uh, including uh, David Wayne, Michael Showalter, and Michael Ian Black, who I had been a little bit familiar with because he would show up on like VH1 like talking head type TV shows like I Love the 80s and that sort of thing. Um but I wasn't too familiar with the group they were in before, uh, which was The State, which was a comedy group they formed at New York University and wound up doing a sketch comedy show in the early 90s. Um, I don't know how I missed The State. I probably was just too young to be watching it at that point or too young to care. Um, I mean, obviously, since then, I've discovered it, and I have the you know DVD box set and all that sort of stuff. Um did have any of you guys ever watched the state? Uh, I went back and tried. Obviously, uh, I think I'm a couple years your junior, but I, I definitely did not uh, see when it was on. It was one of those things I kind of went back and revisited, and I don't think yeah I fell in love in the same way you did. It was for me always felt a little dated. It was it doesn't feel as timeless as some of the greatest sketch comedy there, like your Mr. Kids Show. in the Hall and your Mr. Show. Well, it, it, yeah. it's it's kind of hit and miss, but it, when it hits, it's it's got so many talented people and it's such great chemistry. Yeah, well, and it's remarkable to think about how young they were when they were doing this show. They're I don't think they're any older than like twenty four at that point, um, which is incredibly young to have your own sketch comedy show on television. Granted, it was MTV, like they're still under their hip young people thing, just like they are today with all those kids. And their complicated shoes. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, it's a, it, you kind of have this opportunity to watch this group of, you know, comic masterminds like hone their craft in a very public way. And um, for those who aren't familiar with the history of the state, it really only lasted on MTV for about two years before CBS came a-knocking and tried to offer them the opportunity to compete against Saturday Night Live back in 95, I believe. And they wound up shooting a disastrous Halloween special 
And I think, like, the nail in their coffin was that they were supposed to get Blues Traveler to be their musical guest. <laughs> because it was 1995, and that was that was a good thing to do. Like, now we'd be kind of like, oh, what? But, uh, yeah, Blues Traveler was, like, the hottest band on the planet. And uh, they cancel at the last minute to play Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live instead. So they wound up getting Sonic Youth to replace them, which is a, a worthy successor, but maybe not for mainstream primetime America. I don't think a lot of uh, parents in Idaho are very familiar with Sonic Youth, or um, I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but um, in the state they had the better musical act, but they didn't know it at the time. <laughs> they didn't know. Um, and I think that, like, the state was going to be CBS. Mad TV wound up being a little bit successful on Fox that same year. But Saturday Night Live still wins. Uh, Lorne Michaels still wins. Uh, by the way, I want to put over the fact that Donald Trump is hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend. Um, that's my put over this week. Yeah. A little early. A little early. I, I was like, I never watched the state. I know that my brother was into it, and he would tell me about it. And my brother's four years older than me, and when it was on, like he was into it and would tell me about it. But I never really got around to it. Um, but I watched. Uh, I had never watched Stella either until um, you had sent us some clips, Steve. And uh, one thing that I thought, like that, I kept um, experiencing between Stella and watching Wet Hot American. Summer the, the the TV show is that like it would like fluctuate between moments where I'm where where it was like sort of like um, flatlining and then I would just like cackle out of nowhere like um, at certain parts and especially in the state where uh, or or in Stella where it was usually like something like physical violence that they handle really well and like take to a certain <laughs> point where like they just start beating the crap out of one another or or the other for like no reason. Um, and then in Wet Hot American Summer, there's just like it's really enjoyable. But um, even though I have never seen the movie, um, at least in full, but uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's something they have a weird knack for things um, for making me cackle at least. But and I'm not that super involved with the characters. But um, I don't know. I guess look forward to the next cackle. Um, but one thing I was thinking about in terms of like characterizing these people. Um, uh, David Wayne's interview with uh, Pete Holmes on his podcast, You Made It Weird, just came out this week, and I was listening to some of it. <clears throat> and um, and he was talking about how he grew up with, like, five sisters, I think. And uh, Yeah, the, and he yeah, was the youngest, and they were a lot older than him. Right, yeah. Yeah, one was nine years and one was 11 years older yeah, than him. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I remember hearing Michael Showalter say that like his mom was like a woman studies. Professor. Yeah, Lane. Yeah, Lane Showalter. Uh, I think Sean and I probably have read articles from her in our, probably like our gender media c- course. Um, yeah, like a very well renowned like professor. Huh. Um, but like I, I don't know. Like it, I was thinking about how a lot of their stuff is. Um, very, it's it's not masculine at all, at all, and um, maybe that's like part of the reason why it was so like all comedy, or or maybe why people like you and I are drawn to it more is that yeah, it, it's different from 
a lot of, not that shows like Mad About, or not Mad About You, but Mad TV. Mad About You, oh, I, lo- I love guys, I love Mad About You. <laughs> I just watched part of the first season. Anyway, uh, Mad TV, not that Mad TV and Sarah Night Live are like super like, like hyper-masculine, but there's something that's that's totally the other way, uh, goes the other way on that spectrum with um, with Wayne and Joel out there that, that uh, I don't know, that I appreciate. Yeah, I I mean I relate to those guys a lot, uh, especially Michael Showalter. Um, but they, um, yeah, I I would agree. Like, there's definitely like a, it almost sort of pokes holes in masculinity without being um, very upfront about it. Like, it's very subtle in that way. And yeah, it's um, not seeking to be a feminist text or necessarily a deconstruction of masculinity. It's just that the nature of their comedy is kind of non-traditional and. Not non-traditional, but avoids the traditional, and part of that is the avoidance of the stereotype of men or masculinity in general. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A good example of that is uh, I was just listening to the topics where they had Liz Fair on for the music episode, and Michael Showalter is like asking her questions, and it's like, so when you write songs, or, or when you when you have a man write write a song for you. Um, <laughs> Oh boy, sorry. Well, um, one of the things of Stella, I think I, and for everybody listening, I sent uh, everybody a list of Stella shorts, which uh, they used to do for their live shows in New York. Um, a lot of the videos I sent though didn't have their. Um, a lot of their videos were known for them in using dildos. <laughs> And at some point in the video, yeah. for for comedic effect, um, but sometimes it would be like they would just like have them in their pants. But sometimes they would actually like be performing fellatio on them, <laughs> like just really outrageous stuff. And I when they um so Stella went and became a series on Comedy Central, and I still stand by that series as being my favorite Comedy Central series ever. Oh. Um. Including present shows, like I'm a really big fan of a lot of the shows that are on Comedy Central right now, like uh, Broad City, Nathan for You, uh, Review. Um, Till do they do you get a lot of the Comedy Central shows that showing up in Australia, or is it still kind of like um, have um you, like have you... the internet is useful, but I don't know. Well, I just didn't want to be like yeah. rattling. I just didn't want to like rattle off all these shows, and it's all sudden oh, like I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, I, I know all the shows. I don't necessarily um, know them as Comedy Central shows. Like the channel never really registers with me. Um, right. So the the channel behind whatever television show or production company, I guess um, they don't they don't register with me, which makes it a bit difficult to differentiate um, unless there's the little. Comedy Central logo in the bottom of the screen when I'm watching it. But. Okay. But yeah, I've seen Nathan for you and God City. Um, yeah, I mean, those are, I think, currently they're in a wave of, like, some of the best shows ever. But uh, for me, comedy, like, Stella was just, I mean, I, I came into it as a fan to begin with, but I still love that series so much. Um, but I, I remember, I think, there's several interviews with, like, Michael Showalter and David Wayne where they talk about pitching the show to Comedy Central, showing them their short videos, and the executives were always like, yeah, this is great, um, but is there a way you can do all this without the dildos? 
Which, I mean, <laughs> they, that kind of ends up being the formula for the show. And I, I think it's more successful in the show format than it was in the shorts. I, I think it kind of helped it. Yeah. It kind of forced to tone it down and structure it a little more. And it's, uh, I, I don't know, it, it still is just a, a really bizarre occurrence on a television network, that's for sure. But it's, uh, it's a pretty beautiful one. I'm not really into the internet shorts that much. I think they just kind of, raunchy for the sake of being raunchy sometimes and and they can even veer like it's interesting that we discuss like this sort of material as almost a maturation of comedic taste when they kind of so gleefully embrace immaturity in, in their comedy and it's an interesting kind of dichotomy there but it's uh, one yeah I really enjoyed Stella a lot too I also like the follow up that they tried uh, with Comedy Central a few years later that Michael and Michael have issues I thought was really fantastic I actually might prefer that to Stella yeah and and unfortunately for me I tend to forget I don't forget that that show existed but I forget how much I enjoyed that show as well um, in fact I might even agree with you Adam um, just because that was such a unique concept too just the show within a show um, and just these guys basically being two immature dicks and having their own show and just the grief that they cause all of their writers. Um, if anybody listening to this hasn't seen it before, I don't know where you can find it, but if you can find Michael and Michael Have Issues, um, definitely seek that out. Um, it's interesting that you brought up that um, the shorts, you, you're sort of bothered by the or not bothered by by the shorts, but you just sort of like it's just this, you know, shock for the sake of shock. Um, I actually have the compilation on DVD because I went and saw Stella live a few years ago, and they have a commentary track for all of the short films. And I'm guessing it's probably five or six years removed from when they did it, but they're all sort of embarrassed, especially Michael Showalter is really embarrassed when they talk about some of the more outrageous things they've done in these shorts. He's like very quick to say like, ah, I really regret doing that. I really wish I wouldn't have done that. Like, this is just, we just pushed it. We didn't push it too far, but this is just like too easy. Like it almost is too kind of going back to that American pie analogy. Like it's just shock comedy for being for shock's sake. Yeah, um, I, I can see that. It, it, it did feel that way at times, especially having, like, I mean, my introduction, I kind of came at it a different way. I, I was more interested, based on Michael Ian Black and his participation in these sort of talking head shows, and, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I was a fan of Stella by way of, I love the 80s, and then, and Stella was just great, and then you, you start seeking stuff out, and you see these Stella shorts, and you're like, boy, I'm really glad they evolved these greatly by the time they got to air, and it's just such a more rich experience. And I feel like that sort of constriction really kind of helps them in some ways. They, when they're left to their own devices, they kind of go off the rails on occasion for me into that sort of immaturity. I, I will say I love the swa- the temporary tattoo swastika sketch. <laughs> I enjoy that one too, just because they uh, disappear in the middle of the sketch. Once people <laughs> show up, they just no longer have swastikas on their foreheads. <laughs> uh, we want to get into um, some of, uh, I guess, whether you guys want to talk chronologically or not, but like uh, some of the movies and uh, the television show. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like a lot's been said about what. American summer, at least uh, like in the optimism vaccine universe, um, which again, please 
read Till's article on optimismvaccine.com. And, um, but yeah, I mean, one thing that really surprised me about the series was that I'm often hard-pressed to think about prequels that I think are worthy successors, at least as far as chron- chronological release, like that are worthy successors to the original text. And um, I was really happy with the series. Um, and I, I haven't watched it since I watched it all the way through, but I definitely know that at least a lot of the jokes have resonated with me. The storyline still resonates with me. If anything, it's maybe a bit too linear compared to the movie, but um, I think it was a, a wonderful success. Um, I don't know how any, any of you guys feel about it, or do I? Hmm. I, I particularly liked... Uh, um, is it Christopher Maloney? Is that who it is? Yeah. yeah. And uh, John, uh, John Slattery? I thought they were amazing. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we obviously waited a very long time for any sort of prequel or sequel to come out. Although I don't know if I necessarily was waiting. I was always kind of fine if the Wet Hot American Summer of the Movie was all they ever did. Um, Certainly nothing warranted a sequel based on box office receipts. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I, I haven't, like, the discourse and the consensus I get is that nobody is disappointed with the uh, Netflix series, um, unless somebody else has heard anything different. Well, and, uh, and, uh, you made a weird episode. Like he says that they don't really know as far as like actual numbers because of Netflix. Yeah. How to track how many viewers they've had? Yeah. Just very. Well, Interesting, because you, you kind of just assume when everyone in your circle has seen something that everyone's therefore seen it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, or like the major outlets will be like, this is good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like people are actually participating. Yeah, I almost yeah. like avoided it for a few years just because it seems so ubiquitous, which it, it clearly isn't. It's just sort of a perception when you're in a certain age group and social circle. Yeah, and is that the thing, like, even though we can consider this sort of, like, I mean, at least a lot of the characters and the actors are mainstream, I mean, are we sort of all living in our own bubble, I mean, amongst the uh, four of us here, that this is actually something bigger than it is, or is it just that people like us are just eating it up? I don't know, I went to camp, um, or I was a camp counselor uh, in 2011, um, and the people there that worked there, the other counselors, were not what I would... I, I would not associate with them in, in terms of, like, social circle, and I, I wouldn't... Um, like, I don't have, like, parallel tastes with them, but uh, they, like, referred to people as, like, certain characters, like, Coop. Like, there's a Coop, and there like, other people. But that might just be, like, a camp crossover, like, niche, you know? Yeah, I could see, because there aren't a lot of, I think they discussed this in the You Made It Weird episode, there aren't a lot of camp movies, which is weird, because Wet Hot American Summer itself is a pastiche of those early right. 80s camp movies. Like, there's right. just a string of, like, two or three years in the early 80s before any of us were born here where they actually had movies about summer camp, and then they just went away. Except for Ernest Goes to Camp, which came out in my lifetime. And Heavyweights. 
Um, but uh, oh yeah, of course. How could I forget heavyweights? We've talked about heavyweights on the Outback Cast episode yeah. four, five. Go back, look at it. But uh, that's one of the things I appreciated about the Wet Hot American Summer TV show is that like they had some stuff that really like still like made it its own pastiche rather than just like a pastiche of the movie. Like that that whole stuff with John H. Benjamin like falling into the to the pit of ooze, and I don't know where that goes past the fourth episode, but, like, that's a very, like, that that whole, like, narrative or that, like, device is seems very, like, 80s and 90s, like, Alex Mack to me. Oh, yeah, just worrying about toxic waste and, I mean, toxic yeah. Avengers from the 80s and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't know, I guess I don't really have much more to add about Wet Hot American Summer, except that it just sort of starts my... It was very important to me in my formative years of like forming what my sense of humor was, what I appreciated in film and television, at least as far as comedy. Um, I, I might be the only one here who can say that definitively, but um, I don't know. What about you guys? Yeah, it's definitely more important to you than it is to me. I, I didn't, it didn't form much more... I have a similar opinion as I mean we discussed anti comedy more thoroughly a while back, but this kind of feels in that vein. Uh, it's just stuff that works a lot better for me in the short form. Like what out American Summer and I, I just watched uh, they came together for this uh, podcast too, and I kinda had the same reaction of both where you'd have gags that hit, but by the end of the runtime it, it's just exhausting. It, it, like I the the show the Wet Hot American Summer Revival worked a lot better for me because I, I just think this sort of comedy form works a lot better for me in, in twenty minute blurbs than it does in a, a feature length. You just like your good little doses. I do, I do. It can get it can get just exhausting when you you try and watch ninety minutes of it tonight. It's just like it's like hey, I don't need to eat a whole damn chocolate bar. Just give me a piece. Fun size. I watched the whole series in one go, so four and a half hours, or the runtime, you know. Um, And I felt like it was kind of meant to be consumed all at once, like not just because it's a Netflix series, but um, in order to get the kind of non-linear effect that the movie had, you had to kind of consume it all at once, because otherwise each plotline stood out a bit too much. And Hmm. it is kind of exhausting to watch, but I also think that there are some... Deliberate's probably the wrong word, but like, um, there are some moments in there that they allow jokes to miss or they allow the comedy to lull, and they don't seek to necessarily replace it with drama or, or anything particularly serious, but you can just kind of take a deep breath and prepare yourself for the next laugh. It's not necessarily yeah, that's how I, bang, 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 bang. That's definitely how I felt about the mo- what, what I've seen in the movie, um, almost like to the point where I was just disappointed, but not with the TV show. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. That's um, all these people to buy in, like uh, Chris Maloney, who, I mean, here in America, we just know him as, like, Mr. Law and Order, and right. he just so thoroughly buys in, and again and again, he's working with David Blaine, and he's just selling out comedically. And it's, it's just so interesting to see not only the original cast of What Out American Summer, which is... Uh, filled with future um, film stars and television stars, and it, 
when they revived it with presumably very little budget, they're not only able to bring back all these people and and the cast of Mad Men, essentially. Half the cast of <laughs> Mad Men, uh, one of the most acclaimed series of all time, just pops in for a go. It's like, it must be so much fun and so energizing to work with these people considering the talent they're able to bring on board. As for the way that I came to it as well, just going back to how important this is to Steve, um, I've only really come across David Wayne and Shawalter in the last few years. So... I've, it's just been this kind of mismatch, unchronological exploration of just everything. It actually probably started um, with Children's Hospital rather than uh, oh, yeah. even Wet Hot American Summer. Like, kind of came from there and and went, and it's all just kind of this interesting history rather than um, kind of developmentally important for me, I guess. Hmm. I wouldn't say that Children's Hospital, at least as far as like critical claim, is probably one of the most recognized works from David Wayne. Um, it actually won an Emmy, which is yeah. something yeah. I never thought I would say about David Wayne at any point. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though it's more Rob Corddry's uh, project, but uh, David Wayne definitely was heavily involved in the development and directs several episodes, uh, appears in it. Um, and it's weird how... like the entire sort of alt-comedy universe has sort of sprung off from, really from that core, from, if not from the entire cast of the state, but just from, like, people like David Wayne and Michael Showalter, um, just these actors and comedians appearing in their various projects that maybe weren't as high-profile, but they go on to do these things that are of a much higher profile. And uh, it's kind of like people are constantly discovering like David Wayne for the first time, even though he's been around and doing things, you know, for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. One of those people who's sort of like an offshoot, uh, but it's like, we could talk about it in the same breath as uh, Ken Marino, who I think is just marvelous. And he's, you know, he's like, uh, had like that show burning love, which was <laughs> much of his project. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to talk about with Ken Marino. And it's interesting because he's sort of like hit hit his stride a little bit late as well. I remember um, there was a sitcom on NBC in the mid nineties, mid or mid or late nineties, called uh, "Men Behaving Badly," which was a <laughs> remake of the BBC series "Men Behaving Badly," but it was Rob Schneider and some other white jackass in the first season was like his straight man, and then the second season that guy left. And then Ken Marino was the replacement. So there's at least half a season of Men Behaving Badly with Ken Marino starring with Rob Schneider. And I <laughs> have never seen any of those episodes, and I don't know why I still forget to go onto YouTube and look that up, but I just would love to see somebody who I just am constantly sort of repulsed by as far as comedy team me up with somebody who is like one of my favorite comedic actors ever. Yeah, um, yeah I, I routinely, like, I like, like, Ken Marino's characters in David Wayne projects are, like, routinely my favorite character. Like, his character in, um, in, uh, They Came Together is great. It's like, the, <laughs> the guy who sleeps with, uh, with the women, uh, and wears a wig playing basketball. Um, <laughs> and, uh, especially... I really... In, what's that? Oh no! Go ahead. Go ahead. And in Wanderlust is like the brother with the uh, with the, the, the porter potty uh, mogul. 
one of my favorite scenes of any David Wayne directed film, and it's the scene where he's driving with Paul Rudd's character. They're like going home, and Ken Marino is singing his lungs out to that Daughtry song. In what? Uh, in Wanderlust. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. Am I the only one? No. For some reason, it just it epitomizes everything I like about Ken Marino that he plays like these like almost like a Rob Schneider type character in this universe where that just doesn't accept that kind of thing, and rightfully so. But he just the way he sings that fucking Daughtry song just gets me every time. I think it's when they're on their way home, and he's just like, "I'm coming home." And you just see Paul Rudd sitting next to him, and he's completely miserable. Um, I, uh, it's one of those things that I can't explain to anybody why I get so much like unadulterated joy from that scene. But um, clearly, I am the only one because I don't think anybody here remembers that scene. <laughs> nope. Uh, unfortunately, I have not seen Wanderlust. Um, well, God damn it. But, but one, of the, one of the things I was going to talk about is uh, that David Wayne mentioned in that Pete Holmes uh, interview was that uh, he has noticed that his fans, like, are very, like, divided on, like, they, there's no, like, general consensus as to, like, what his best, like, product is. Um, and I, I have had that same experience um, as well as a fan or, or, like, just, like, knowing other, like, people who are interested in his product, or in his projects, but, um, like, when um, Robin and Megan, friends of the show, um, watched They Came Together when it first came out on VOD, um, they they uh, said that it was, like, completely underwhelming, and that's, like, my favorite, um, probably my favorite, like, David Wayne thing. I uh, had that experience, too, with oh, They yeah? Came Together. I think it's just because I don't like romantic comedies <laughs> and so even the inverted tropes and even the kind of pastiche parody that, that they came together presented and even though you know I love Amy Poe and all the people involved in it um, I just couldn't, I just fell asleep like three times, I just was totally disinterested, probably didn't help that I was trying to watch it on Christmas Day and it was like 42 degrees so like I don't know, like 110 or however Fahrenheit works, whatever. Um, <laughs> it was really hot and it was Christmas Day. So it was the best time to try and watch um, a David Wayne movie. But, yeah, I just I just didn't connect with They Came Together at all. That's interesting. Maybe Yeah, maybe I am prone to it because, one, like I like romantic comedies, and, two, I hate the way that New York is treated in, in romantic comedies and movies in general. Um but I also like I'm a big um, You've Got Mail fan, and they're like that's obviously one of the big targets of that movie. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I um coming as like a huge fan of David Wayne. I um I've only seen They Came Together once, um, and it's one of those things where like it's almost for for me like they really get those tropes down so well that again like it's almost too subtle it's almost like they've created like the perfect romantic comedy <laughs> um and so sometimes they have to like do these outrageous things like when he tries to uh <laughs> have sex with his booby <laughs> 
Um, sorry, I'm just thinking about that scene in my own head right now, and I'm trying to stifle the laughter. Um, but I could see that why that would be underwhelming to somebody. Especially if you're not used to, like, David Wayne's humor, if you're just going into a blind thing, like, oh, it's got Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd in it, this is going to be great. Um, I could see why you would be underwhelmed, because you're not maybe trained, or you're not at least going in thinking, like, this is... Whole this whole movie is just one joke, basically. Oh, it's very much like Scary Movie, but for rom-coms, but... What I like about it is that, uh, and that's not disparaging like either side, but um, right. I could like. There's the one joke where um, he's walking, he walks in on uh, his girlfriend and Michael in Black, the boss, like just like just banging like <laughs> like behind his back, and he doesn't realize it until he turns around, and um, <laughs> like that's the sort of thing that I could see like, oh, that's an obvious joke, but. Like I feel like they always take it like um, just a little bit further than you expect them to, just based on like other parodies and stuff like that. And I guess the best scary movie um, jokes are like that too. Like Scary Movie Two is full of those where they just like keep going with the joke to a point where it becomes funny for me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know much about this other than I've seen the trailer, I've read the little bit that's out there already. Um, Michael Showalter has a movie coming out. I believe it's going to be officially released sometime in March of 2016, but it played at the South by Southwest Festival. Uh, The film's called Hello, My Name is Doris. stars uh, Sally Field as a woman who believes in her 50s or 60s and has an affair with a man who is in his 20s or 30s or something like that. Um, and based on the trailer, it I mean, the trailer is cut by, you know, the studio or whatever. It looks like it's kind of being played as just like a straight-up romantic comedy, obviously with the unusual or unusual usual to cinema aspect of just having an older woman go after a younger man. Um, but have any of you, are any of you familiar with that at all? I am. Um, Hello, my name is Doris. As well. And the interviews that he's given are really interesting because he s- says that um, it was it's written as a comedy and the serious and dramatic aspects that um, were kind of injected into it by the lead actress who kind of came to him and said, no, no, we need to have these these more dramatic moments and these seri- more serious moments and more introspection. Yeah. And he's really pleased with the way that that's turned out. Um, I think it looks like a really interesting film. I think I might just say that because it's about hipsters and that's kind of an interesting, funny cultural thing to me, the way that people talk about hipsters and the way that you know, you're constantly trying to define and redefine what a hipster is and what they do. Yeah, and that's definitely um, something that's attracted me to Michael Showalter's comedy, like just his stand-up and his writing, um, is that he sort of skewers hipster culture. I mean, this is a guy who lives in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, um, or if not in Williamsburg, somewhere nearby in one of the hipper neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, So it's definitely a world he's very aware of, that he's very much in, and I think a lot of his fan base is definitely in that world, but I think he spends a lot of time making fun of them. Um, I remember I actually appreciate saw... that, I think. Hipsters don't mind being made fun of. 
<laughs> that they shouldn't. I just there was a I saw him live once and I can't remember. I've seen him do stand up maybe three or four times in person, and one of the shows I was at, there were a lot of people drinking PBR Tall Boys, which is sort of just the hipster go-to thing. Um, I don't want to say that actually. I want to redact that, but. For the sake of this podcast, for cultural studies people out there, hipsters drink a lot of PBR. And he's talking about it. He's like, yeah, don't you guys love PBR? It's like the coolest thing to drink. And at one point, he's just like, who cares if it turns your poop neon yellow? And like everybody just kind of like stopped drinking PBR for the rest of the night, I swear to God. Like everybody switched to like more expensive craft beer after that. Um, he poke fun at, at some guy, or he calls him a hipster in that uh, Pitchfork uh, stand-up. Yeah, he, oh, and they, uh, I, I, I forgot that I shared that with you guys. Um, I haven't watched it in a while, I just remembered it was something I wanted you guys to see. So Michael Shaw Walker, Walter do, um, did a set at the Pitchfork Music Festival which I think was their inaugural year in 2010, and he just had this disastrous set. Um, and it's it's hilarious, and it's very much what he does when he's on stage anywhere, but the crowd is just not into it at all. Um, well, yeah, like that other, that other uh, stand-up stuff from David Wayne was like, it was, it was, I thought it was great, but the nature of it is like subversive, like it's subverting the experience of the people there even where he's just like, <laughs> he's like, get ready for this. I'm a really, I'm a really roast Hitler. Uh, <laughs> it's like the first thing, uh, I mean, the guy's policies, well, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! I, um, like, yeah, I can see why it would be disastrous for a lot of people, but it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, all these uh, anti-comedians seem to make a habit of just insulting their audience at this point. You've got like Tim Heidecker's "The Comedy," which is quite the big goddamn middle finger to hipsters. Oh my God! Yeah, I um, I love the comedy actually. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting movie. Uh, not something I know that I'll run back and revisit anytime soon, but it was certainly uh, an experience to watch. Ow. Um. <laughs> the Pete Holmes interview um, had the interesting quote from Wayne that was basically like, uh, you have to think that people don't get it in order to kind of keep going. And he was talking about the original uh, Wet Hot and how it kind of panned critically um, in 2001. But I think it kind of applies to uh, Best End Up as well. That you just kind of have to think, oh, people don't get it. I think maybe that's why it appeals to hipsters as well, because they're always so desperate to get it and to be in on it that they're happy to laugh at themselves because they're like, oh, you know, I get it. It's it's funny. I get it. I mean, on the joke, see? Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. And it's just it's interesting to watch, like, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's endlessly watchable to me, that type of stand-up, just like when you're actually watching somebody do that in front of people who, who are, like, having expectations and have, like, a voice there. Um, for, for anybody who's interested in more of this, um, there's actually a compilation, 
I think it's a it's a three or four disc set that Comedy Central Records put out probably about ten years ago at this point. Um, but Eugene Merman used to do the show in New York called Invite Them Up, where he'd have a lot of like these alternative stand-ups come in and just do like a ten to twenty minute set. Um, so it's a collection of those shows, and David Wayne's on there. He actually sings a song about wanting to <laughs> having this sexual perversion of wanting to shove bagels up women. <laughs> <laughs> sounds awful on paper, but trust me, it is very, very funny. Um, Michael Showalter's on there as well. Um, it's actually one of Aziz Ansari's like, first recorded comedy sets as well on that compilation. It's called Invite Them Up. Um, it also comes with a DVD video. I think you can find some of the YouTube clips on there. Um, yeah, check it out if you haven't heard it, including the four, well, the three of you. Because I've seen it already, I've listened to it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, well, before we move too far away from, I guess, anti-comedy uh, parallels. Uh, when I was listening to all these topics episodes, I, I kept thinking about um, on cinema with Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington, and like, <clears throat> I, I guess, like, um, you know, they're playing each other or they're they're playing themselves, but like, they keep like sort of like rejecting like their actual like public persona, and um, especially in topics, they do a great great thing where each episode, uh, Michael, Ian Black is like, you know, we're talking about serious things, and we're talking about them seriously, and but, we, you know, we're comedians, and if something is funny, you know, we're going to laugh, and uh, it, it's like very, it's sort of, it's sort of like proto-Portlandia, even, like, it's, it's just like poking fun at this, like, NPR type of, like, like laughter where the, it's not funny at all, but we're gonna like laugh about it. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I adore it, but it makes me want David Wayne and, and that whole troupe to do something like um, them to do one of those Gary Marshall like ensemble pieces, but as a parody, where it's like this very sincere. Like if you think about something like. Love actually, it's you know it's a very sincere thing, and um, I think that I feel like that's something that like this whole cast of like Michael Ian Black and Show Walter and Ken Marino and and Paul Rudd and and um, Amy Poehler could like really sort of instill some sort of like hilarity for like two hours even. I'm surprised that's something that they haven't done yet. Because mm-hmm. um, that seems, I mean, that's definitely way in their wheelhouse. Um just to basically spend an hour and a half to two hours making fun of a Gary Marshall vehicle. <laughs> um, something they would be perfect at. Um, maybe someday, if they're listening, by the way, um, write that down. Put that in your, that in your palm Marshall. pilot. I feel like these Gary Marshall movies are like self-parodying at this point. <laughs> well, there's, there's one coming out, Mother's Day. Isn't that the next one? Oh. Jesus. Yeah, see, that's the title of that could be the title of a parody. It's like Mother's Day, or like I guess I would prefer Labor Day, but yeah, just super, super Oedipal the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, they, during the architecture uh, episode of Topics, they keep saying like edifice, like an edifice complex or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, uh, oh, they keep, like, pushing each other towards, like, these really immature jokes. Like, they keep talking about erections and, like, 
like rock, like rock erection, like rock hard erections, but in the context of architecture, it's pretty great. That show, just in general, is um, whenever they like, it doesn't happen very often, but it it's really worth the time and effort. Like when they get close to like making the other person laugh, it's uh, it's pretty great. Um, like uh, the most recent one was on that Liz Fair music one, and they're talking about like. They're like waxing on about the Beatles and how great the Beatles are, which is funny in itself. But um, um, talking about what Paul meant by "I am the Walrus," <laughs> there's like a long, long break after they're like, "What do you guys think that meant?" And Michael Ian Black's like, "Well, he did go through a chubby phase, am I right?" <laughs> and you could hear like <laughs> stifling laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh man. Speaking of stifling laughter. Yeah. Um wow. Which is I, it's a much more effective thing on a podcast than like watching somebody hold back laughter on Saturday Night Live. Or uh just the Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, wow. America's favorite drunk. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the stories, but apparently Jimmy Fallon has been, um, NBC is concerned about his drinking because he's injured himself four times in the last month with drinking-related accidents. Maybe not the last month, but a very short period of time he's injured himself via drinking. Like, he almost severed his own finger just tripping in his own kitchen, drunk off a Jägermeister. Oh, I bet he was tripping. Well, probably that, too. (laughs) America's best. Do we want to talk at all about Wonderlust or any other pro- properties? No, not really. <laughs> I'm just you kidding. Know, you know what I? Always, maybe it's because of Wonderlust, but I always think it's a David Wayne, or and I guess it's also because Paul Rudd is in it. But I prefer it to Wonderlust is um, my idiot brother, or our idiot brother. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, it must just be because. Paul Rudd, but I really enjoy that movie, but that's completely off topic. <laughs> that's the sort of movie I saw the trailer for. I was like, I don't think I'll watch that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen Wanderlust because I confused it with Arthur <laughs> and Brother. And I was like, well, I'm going to watch that fucking movie with Paul Rudd with a beard. <laughs> well, Wanderlust. Um, yeah, I. It surprises me because had it come out a few years earlier, I, I mean, I'm still like a big fan of David Wayne, but it almost came like a few years too late for me. But like at that point, I was almost kind of exhausted <laughs> with all of their material, and it just, I don't know, I wound up seeing it probably a year after it came out, and I definitely enjoyed it, but it was just sort of, um, it didn't affect me the way that, say, it affected Pete yeah. Holmes. I thought it was Wonderlust, more like Lacquer Lust, am I right? Oh, hot take. (laughs) I haven't seen it, but from the way Holmes talks about it, I don't think that I'd like it very much. Like, like not only with David Wayne, but he talks about that movie all the time. (laughs) Clearly very influential to him. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's interesting if you're, like, talking about David Wayne, I guess, because... Like, it's reflective of, like, I guess, his biographical past and stuff and, like, wanting to, like, you know, being attracted to a commune and things like that. But, 
it's beyond that. It's it's like okay, but like I said, I like it for for um, for Ken Marino, definitely. Have any of you guys been to a commune? Mm -mm. Not no? yet. <laughs> I um, my granddad's second wife used to live on a commune up in the hills, and I used to go there as a kid. And I think that probably, and and there were just so many kind of petty arguments that were just like everywhere else, <laughs> except these people were like relying on each other for um, you know, kind of food and hospitality and like this was their main friendship group and they only went down the mountain for work and things like that but it just really put me off the idea of of communes yeah <laughs> and i think that's part of the reason that i'm like oh, wanderlust nah. <laughs> so it, it killed your wanderlust yeah well killed my commune lust i guess <laughs> it, is nice. it is nice to see jennifer aniston in, in a role like that is not the usual Jennifer Aniston role for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's not bad, but it's no, it's not bad. But yeah, I, I mean, like I guess like none of us are like praising it, but like that, but it is like some people's favorite like property of David Wayne's, like furthering that idea that like there isn't like one consensus, which is really strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that um, now that we've talked about it a little bit more, I think uh, Till should at least go see it and see if it's like an equal comparison to her experience on an actual <laughs> commune. Um, my, Myros, do you have any experiences with communes? Uh, well, my Seattle house was uh, was <laughs> attempting to become some such thing. It was a bunch of uh, Israeli immigrants trying to form a kibbutz of sorts. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, filthy and awful, and uh, no one did anything. So uh, <laughs> my experience would be uh, negative. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends who just very recently have been fantasizing, even like looking into like just buying a town, like a tiny town, unincorporated town, and just moving everybody in and doing a commune, like relying on each other for goods and educating their kids and. I don't know. I think there's something very romantic about that, but I just think, like Till just said, you probably just run into the same issues, but now you can't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's like fun it's when you're a kid, but <laughs> like as soon as you start getting any kind of like social awareness, you just realize how splintered it can get. Mm -hmm. Right. Not to alienate any of our uh, commune listeners. Oh yeah, <laughs> you live a great lifestyle. We're very jealous. <laughs> We also had a uh, house across from us in uh, Kalamazoo, our uh, college town, that uh, purported to be a commune of sorts where Cuff just kind of like stashed his instruments. And all I remember is there was a woman who really needed to hit the uh, deodorant, and uh, they, there was a guy who kept trying to sell us a bathtub LSA. And, uh, <laughs> again, all around, I'm not feeling this whole concept. Wait, bathtub LSA? Yeah, that's right. What is that? Hell if I know. It sounded dangerous to me. <laughs> there was, uh, in Kalamazoo, back like, um, I guess, eight years ago, there was probably a, a, a variance of like three years where like the student population on that side of town was very much trying to reclaim a uh, hippie lifestyle, and it was very, very annoying. Eesh. 
By the way, the topic today is uh, David Wayne and Michael Showalter and uh, alternative comedy. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Um, we should probably think about wrapping up here, though. Yeah. Um, what we usually do is uh, we'll go through this whole spiel where we like to put something over. Each of us is going to put over something that you, listeners, should go check out before the next episode or after the next episode whenever you get the chance. Where uh, does that expression so, come from? Which expression? Put over. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, it's it just... Is, uh, yeah, Cuff, Cuff um, decided on that one. I feel like I've heard it, but it, it still, even to me, was, was fairly foreign. Oh, yeah. really? You know, I think it's actually a wrestling term. <laughs> God's honest, like, honestly, I think it comes from... Because when you put something over, like when you put somebody over, it's like you're elevating them to get more exposure, elevating them to more success. Um, and it's better than saying plugs because that's... I mean, a lot of plot podcasts say, like, oh, I'm going to plug this. Like, oh, let's put this over. So if you're putting something over, you're um, celebrating it. You're making it a bigger deal. And yeah. it's interesting it's... that I just learned now that that's not a normal thing to say. <laughs> I um, I associate it with, you know, if you put one over someone, it's like you pull a joke or, or you successfully lie to them. Oh yeah, yeah, that is. Oh, a, that yeah. is I put one over that guy. <laughs> you should have seen his face. <laughs> that is the classic way of saying put to put one over. <laughs> I Jesus, this is twenty three episodes of putting things over, and we didn't realize till just now that everything we've put over it's just a joke. Well, what a, this explanation is is such a great addition to the uh, effect canon, I guess. Yeah. So this is a this is a classic episode when we do our retrospective in about twenty years. This is going to be in the top three. I'm calling it already. Yep, this is the clip we're going to play. I'm <laughs> writing them out right now. It's going to keep going. This will be part of the clip. Yep. And we're going to have such a hearty laugh. Like we are right now, and it's going to be so wonderful. Um, but, well, so uh, did you guys want to put something over? <laughs> yeah, I can go first. Yeah, go first. What do you got, Sean? Um, <clears throat> besides the topics podcast, which I've obviously very much enjoyed, um, I just listened to uh, the most recent Yola Tango album, which is like a, an amalgam of like self-covers and other covers, um, and it's just really great. It's called Stuff Like That There, and uh, it's a very low-key, um, low-energy um, Yola Tango record, which like you, you kind of like know what you're getting into if you're a Yola Tango fan. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's an adorable record. Well, all right. Myrost, what do you got? Uh, we're going to be talking a little about some more all-comedy stuff next episode and also uh, talking about show revivals. On that uh, note, I just watched the debut of Ash vs. Evil Dead on the Stars Network, and it was exactly what I wanted it to be as a fan of uh, the Evil Dead franchise. It was, uh, Is that it's good? 
<laughs> yes, it was. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it's excellent news. Yeah, you're you're not going to get a lot of uh, scares out of it. It's definitely not in the vein of Evil Dead One. What? It's definitely better. <laughs> it's more in the uh, Army of Darkness vein of of straight goofy stuff. But it's always great to see Bruce Campbell uh, and yeah, him being a star vehicle for a program. I'm on board. It's a lot of fun. Uh, check it out. That that, that was like um, that. That is still remains a gap in my uh, film knowledge. I guess is all of the Evil Dead and Army of Darkness stuff. So you're saying it's the inoffensive khakis of things you've missed? Yeah, except uh, yeah, I'm well acquainted with inoffensive khakis. The gap. Yeah, fall into it. We're we're still a clothing store. <laughs> Right Till here in Kalamazoo, it's mall in Kalamazoo, just uh, it's right right past the Gloria Jeans, and you you can't miss it. There's still a Gloria Jeans in Kalamazoo. Oh, it definitely is. It exists because it's in a mall. Did I tell you guys I used to work at a Gloria Jeans? <laughs> was that in Australia? No, it was uh, in it was in uh, suburban Milwaukee at the Brookfield Square Mall. I worked there my senior year of high school, and my boss hated me. Was it next to the Suncoast video? No, it was in the separate wing. It was right next to uh, Wet Seal and Gadzooks. <laughs> See, Till might be saying to herself right now, "What in the hell is Gloria Jeans?" But uh, okay. Gloria Jeans is an Australian company. What is this? This 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 isn't Adam Ruins Everything. That's a show on True TV. I I don't listen when I'm not talking. That's that's just the thing I do. We're just happy he hasn't run to the bathroom to throw up yet. Yeah. Till, what are you putting over this week? Um well, I probably should have thought about it a little more. Uh, but I guess I'll just recommend uh, the Little Dum Dum Club podcast. It's run by two Australians, Tommy Daslow, Kyle Chandler. They just sit around and talk crap with their mates. Uh, there's an episode you guys might be interested in. It's quite old. Um, but they they get some quite famous improv guests on. And Kyle Chandler tries to talk to them about improv. And he goes, yeah, so what's that, that rule that you, ha- you guys have? It's like a, yeah, but, right? <laughs> and yeah, everyone just kind of goes, no, no. And um, they mistake someone's grandfather for just a normal person when, in, in fact, he was the one of the um, members of the Three Stooges. And it just, yeah, it's just, it's just a mess of an episode, and that's awesome. But their podcast is usually very good, so recommending the Little Dum Dum Club. That sounds really interesting. That sounds really interesting. Um, but I have a question. Um, uh, do they have accents? Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, okay. Too much? Too much? Uh, and are, is this available on iTunes or um, is it streaming yeah. from somewhere? Both. Both. So it's on LibSync and they've got their own website and it's available through iTunes. All right. Perfect. Um. I guess I'm going to put over, kind of like Sean is putting over an album, I'm going to be putting over uh, the debut album from Elvi. I believe it's pronounced Elvi. It might be pronounced LV. 
anyway, it is Matt Berninger from the National and the fella from Menomina, whose name I can't recall at the moment. Uh, it's their debut album, sort of a uh, pop punk record. Um, I don't. That's at least the genre I've been reading. I don't know if I would define it as such, but anyway, great record. Um, it's available streaming on things like Spotify. Maybe you can find it in your local record store. I haven't found the record yet, but it's already my favorite album of 2015. Is it streaming on NPR, all, all songs considered? I, you know, I don't know. It's oh, okay. something to consider. Uh, okay, I guess we'll see. But Elvi, uh, Return to the Moon is the album title. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go see them, actually, in about two weeks at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, and I'm very excited. So there you have it. Um, did, did NPR like it, though? I'm sure they did. Oh, I, I didn't read... Okay. I mean, I didn't... Oh, I don't, I you know... I mean, I have NPR on my alarm clock, and I'm pretty sure I heard them say, oh, this is the greatest. Oh, phew. Okay, Good. good. Cool. NPR under alarm clock sounds pretty dangerous. <laughs> it's yeah, I, that's that much of a wake up call. This is why I fall asleep till two p.m. every day. Um, Do you wake up to Diane a, What? Do you wake up to Diane Reams? Mm, no, usually it's Terry Gross. Oh. Um. But yeah, uh, so this Elvi is the best record of the year, though. At least until Adele's Twenty Five comes out next week. <laughs> That's the topic of next week's uh, the next episode. It's an yeah, all Adele episode. <laughs> Get your Starbucks ready. Anyway, um, I think this was a wonderful time. Did you guys have a good time today? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, we're still years. Well. If you are listening and you like what you have heard, we encourage you to go to OptimismVaccine.com. That's where you can find this podcast. That's where you can find some of our great articles, such as Wet Hot American Comedy by Till Knowles. Uh, Jake Tropelia recently wrote a retrospective on the Bond series where he ranked every single Bond movie from worst to best, and I think he has a pretty hot take on what he feels is the best Bond movie ever. So definitely check that out. And uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Uh, If you just look for Optimism Vaccine, all the podcasts are there. Subscribe to us. Give us some comments. Give us some feedback. Rate us. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at OptimismVaccine.com. If you'd like to, you could also follow us four individuals. I am Stephen Coleman at Colmania, which is K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. I think I spelled that right. Sean, what are you at? M-R-G-L-I-N-I-S, Mr. Gwyneth. And Till, what are you at? Till Knowles, T-I-L-K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Myros, you're not on Twitter. Well, I, I guess I technically am on Twitter, but uh, you would be shouting into a, a cavernous space. Well, what cavernous space can we shout into? Uh, I am at Myrosity, M-I-R-O-S-I-T-Y, but uh, don't bother, please. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I didn't even know that. I'm going to go follow you right now. I'm so excited. Are you an egg? What? Uh, I don't know what that means. Is that some sort of Twitter term? I I'm not familiar. Well, yeah, if you don't have a profile picture, if you're some sort of cretin, then you're just an egg. 
Just like, I have a picture. I, you know, I have a stock photo. <laughs> Just like oh, the, the whoopee pics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stock photo with the blue shadow. <laughs> Alright guys, well thanks for listening, thanks for participating, and uh, usually I have the last word of the podcast, but I'm going to defer to Adam Myros. Give us the last word. Good night and good luck.